This is Dr. Gregory W. Frazier. This is Dave Barr. I'm Brett Tax. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coe. Hello, here is Herbert Schwartz. This is Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. <laughs> this is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin, and today on Adventure Rider Radio, we're going to listen to a Spanish explorer, which is kind of cool because, let's face it, Spain has a history of exploration. We're also going to talk about the new Africa twin. Yes, you may have read about it somewhere else, but we've got a, a first-hand look, at least, not a ride, but a look at the Africa twin. Stay with us. <laughs> This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're out exploring the world. Visit them at cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Alicia Sornosa is a world traveler and motorcyclist. Uh, she's also a journalist. She's from Spain. She was riding a BMW F650 GS. She's riding a Ducati Scrambler now. But get this. She started out in September 2011. She went to Madrid, Barcelona, Rome, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, India. That was in September 2011. Now, in January 2012, she's to Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Tasmania, Sydney, Brisbane. And then in April of 2012, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Seattle, Wyoming, then on up to Canada, through Vancouver, up to Alaska, then back into Canada, through Inuvik, Calgary, Chicago, New York, Miami, New Orleans, Key West. It just goes on and on. That's in June. And then in October, she's back into Mexico and then into Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Panama, Puerto Rico. In December of still of 2012, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Come 2013 in January, Chile, Argentina, Ushuaia, Buenos Aires, uh, Uruguay. In October of 2014, or sorry, between August and October of 2014, Spain, France, Germany, Poland, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Russia, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Japan. In April of 2014, she's back to the States, rides the tail of the dragon. It just goes on and on. Now, when we did this interview, I spoke to her from her home in Spain, but she was getting ready to leave in just a few days, just past Christmas. She's off on another adventure. So you can find this one really interesting. Here is Alicia Sarnoza from her home in Madrid, Spain. My name is Alicia Sarnoza. I'm from Madrid, Spain. And I am a motorbike girl and adventure. I'm a traveler. Alicia, what's the first bike that you started with, uh, your thing that got you going on motorcycling? My first bike was a BMW F650GS. And with this motorbike, I make the, the trip around the world and then uh, I sold this bike, and I I have a Ducati Scrambler for make the trips. And I love the motorbike, but for me, it's the best uh, vehicle to to know the the world. In a motorbike, you you are um, easy to to touch, easy to speak for, for other people, and. When you arrive at the cities or towns, the people come with the motorbike and with you and speak. And these people know if you have hot, uh, sticky, cold, but mm, you are on the air. You traveled around the world. Um, tell us about that trip. I start, uh, it's a, a trip around the world. 
and for one year and a half, I start in Spain, then uh, ride to Italy, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, India, Australia, USA, Canada, and Alaska, and then down Canada and go to New York. And in New York, I finished my first trip. Then I continued the, the trip to the south, across Mexico, um, Central America, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Argentina, and finish in, the, in Ushuaia, in the end of the world. And then come back from, to Montevideo in Uruguay and come back to, my, to Spain. This is my second trip. My third trip was the two summers ago and start in Spain, then cross to the north of uh, Europe, to Letonia, and then entry in Russia, Moscow, down to Kazakhstan, and then entering the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and Ulaanbaatar. Then up to the north from Ulaanbaatar to Ulanude in Russia and take the Trans-Siberian Road to the end in Banino and finish my trip in Tokyo, Japan. Wow. And uh, <laughs> this is my third uh, trip. And the last summer, I traveled in, uh, in the east of Europe, Slovenia, Slovakia, Poland, Hungary, Deutschland, Switzerland, France, Italy, and I make 8,000 kilometers with a scrambler. It's my first big trip with a scrambler, Ducati. And uh, now I'm waiting for my next trip, is the big trip is in Morocco, then the Christmas time, to the south of Morocco, to um, Dune's place, is uh, Sagora. And then I ride with the Ducati too in Central America, and then to Ethiopia, and then with a Royal Enfield in India. Alicia, what's your motivation for, for your trips? What drives you to go on them? My motivation is to know new people, new cultures, new religions, new, new, new person, new friends. And all my trips have a social, um, social help for the children or the other people who need the money or dress or food. And I recaudar. I call it money in my um, Facebook or Twitter or my blog. And this money I donate to different audience. And this is, um, <laughs> sorry, I too much time without speaking English. And I forget all my English, sorry. This, this is good practice. And, and maybe I'll pick up some Spanish from this as well. <laughs> okay, my objective in my trips is to make social help. You know social help? Yeah, so you're, you're helping people. You're stopping at communities and you're, you're raising money and giving it to these communities to help the, the people in need. Yes. Why do you do that? What, what was your motivation for doing that? But my motivation, my first motivation is to know uh, different um, people and different culture and to life. For me, the travel, the trip is the life. If I make many trips, I am alive. If I stay only in the same place all the day, for me, this is like a death. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Why, why, when you're on your trips, why do you want to help people? Why do you go there and, and raise money for them? First is, I think, too many people in the world need money or help of the other rich countries. But the people don't know this, the people in the, in the rich uh, countries don't know these people. 
And I looking for these people in my trip and offer, I offer my help for these people. A small, a small towns, a small people, but people who need uh, help. When you set out on a trip, do you have a set length of time that you're going to spend on the trip? Okay, normally my trips are for one month and I don't know where, where is the finish of this trip. Maybe uh, I finish the trip in one month or in, in two months and it's okay for me. But uh, so many times I, I think I need to, to know more than this country or I need to write more than this uh, um, border. And I don't know, maybe for me it's not important the time of the trips. Well, clearly you're spending a lot of time traveling. What do you do for a living in the meantime? Uh, I'm a journalist. I write for my trips in different magazines. I make radio and I write in my web. In my web. And uh, some brands pay me for the banners in my web or for the, the rights. And now I have a sponsor for the trips, Turatec and uh, Ducati and uh, generally is uh, insurance and insurance and pay me a little money for make these trips. The Ducati Scrambler seems like um, an unlikely bike, at least in my mind, for world travel. What was it like to ride that bike on long distance trips? Uh, it's a bike mm, fun and easy to, to drive. Uh, it's comfortable and it's different the trips with the um, trial motorbike and the Scrambler Ducati. But for me, it's uh, more easy to drive than the BMW. It's a small bike. And it's perfect for the, the no, I think for a big, big trip, like my world trip for one year, it's not too comfortable. But I think the motorbike is not the, the most important in a trip. The most important is the, the person who drives the, the bike. The bike is a, a means to an end, so to speak. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the places you've traveled to that you've found particularly interesting? Uh, yes, I love Ethiopia. It's very interesting uh, t- uh, country in Africa. And this is the only country who... It's not a colony of the European or American people. And it's a special uh, country. It's beautiful. But I love all the countries who I know. Uh, for me, the perfect world was a little piece of uh, America, of Africa, of India, of uh, Kenya, of different pieces of the countries make a beautiful uh, like a paradise. <laughs> well, I read that you wrote something about, you know, you've traveled the world. And when you come back to Spain, you had mentioned something about this, the roads in Spain and how local riders don't know how good they have it. Can you talk about that? Yes. In, in Spain, the roads are very nice, are very security um, uh, roads. But it's like uh, other places of uh, Europe and North America. Too many, um, too many prohibitions. You know, I prefer to ride in India or in Africa or in South America, but you are free to ride. But not in Europe, not in Spain. The, the roads are beautiful, but they um, have too, too many prohibitions. I prefer the, the freedom of the dirt roads, of the broken roads or the roads with big holes. I prefer this. <laughs> I, I miss from my um, country the food, <laughs> not the roads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alicia, how old are you? 42 years old. So you're 42 years old now and you've done a lot of traveling over the last few years now. What was it like when you're setting out? What were people telling you that you should do or shouldn't do as a woman traveling alone? I mean, um, did they encourage you to go or was it something they're telling you not to do? To be a woman, when, when I start my trip, all the men say, 
oh, be careful, uh, it's very dangerous, you are a woman alone in a bike, oh, be careful with the other people. But I think to be a woman is perfectly for um, make the trips. Everybody is uh, good and care me, and everybody speak with me and help me. And I think the women uh, are more magic than the men. And all the people love to speak with a woman and help the woman. Uh, for me, it's an advantage to be a woman. And then when I come back from my uh, big trip around the world, these men say to me, okay, you are a brave woman and you can uh, to drive in a motorbike. And I, if I can, all the women can. I'm very small. I'm one meter, 55 centimeters tall. It's not too much for drive a bike. But if I can, every woman can. Do you find that, uh, that you have women coming to you and saying, you've inspired me to ride? For me, this is a very beautiful to know a woman say, oh, if you can, I can, you are small. And for me, it's one of the most beautiful uh, things before the trip to speak with the women. And uh, she said to me, I love your trip. I love you. You inspire uh, me. For me, it's very, very beautiful. This next trip that you're doing, is that you leaving this year, this December? Yes. The 27, I take my bike, say bye-bye to my family, and down from, from Madrid to uh, Mersuga in the south of Morocco. I need to drive my bike in the dirt roads and in the sand, in the dunes. I think it's a very, very nice bike for driving the in the sand, but it's a, it's a light, lighter bike and have a small uh, wheel in the rear. And it's, I think it's very, very fun for the dunes. Have there been any areas that have been difficult for you? Yes. Uh, for me, the most difficult was in, in Kenya, the Moyale Road. Now it's with uh, asphalt. Now it's a beautiful road. But mm, three years ago was uh, horrible for me. I crying all the time, all the days for three days. And only I drive for 200 kilometers in three days. I drive very, very slowly and it's very difficult for me. But I don't have experience. But now for me it's difficult the sand. <laughs> I need to train in the sand and it's difficult the the mud but the other the, the stones the ripio the is good i love it <laughs> and and what about you you rode in australia can you talk about australia yes uh, australia is very beautiful uh, country very very big <laughs> i stay for three months and I don't know the center of Australia, the outback, but I, I drive in the beautiful roads like a Great Ocean Road in the south coast between Melbourne and Adelaide, and it's a beautiful views. Uh, I drive in Tasmania, and uh, then I drive Melbourne to Sydney and Brisbane. And for me, it's an easy country for drive the bike, and the people is, is nice and all is clean and perfect all the time. It's easy to drive in, in Australia. And you can make camping in too, too many places. Beautiful. And it's a, a country with security. Don't have a problem. What would you tell other women who are considering a trip like this? The first who I... Uh, tall with other women who want to make a trip is don't have um, fear. Don't have fear. The people uh, is is nice, is good, and the second is please smile all the time. Your smile is the best 
door for entry in all the, the, the places. And you need to, to have humility. It's very important, humility. Humility, no fear, and smile. For me, it's the very, very important things for make a trip. Alicia, thank you very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio, and best of luck in this next trip that you're, well, you're leaving on in just a few days. Okay, thank to you for, I'm sorry, one more time for my English. I think uh, you have uh, understand me, yes? Yes, no problem, okay. no problem. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Alicia Sarnoza. And you can find out more about Alicia by dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and look at the show notes for this episode. Hi, this is David with Best Rest Products, home of a cycle pump tire inflator. I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk about the new Honda Africa Twin. If you're sitting at your keyboard right now, this is the address I want you to type in. It's aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Make sure you put that forward slash ARR in there. It lets them know you're coming from us. As well, it's going to earn you a one-time 10% discount on your order, which can be a big chunk of money if you're ordering a riding suit. And uh, if you're an existing customer, it'll get you free shipping on your next order. So definitely put in that forward slash ARR. But what I want you to look at is their the Roadcrafter uh, R3 suits. Basically, it's it's the the full uh, riding suit here, and they've got a deal on, or they or they're running a program now, and, and maybe it's a permanent program. I'm not sure, but um, basically, what they're saying is that if you buy one of their R3 Roadcrafter suits and you use it for 30 days and you're not riding more, then you can return it and get your money back just like that. Um, that to me impresses me, you know, because I think it really says something about somebody who is uh, confident in the quality of their product. But not only that, they're not saying, they're not talking about how great it's going to feel or what it's going to look like. What they're telling you is you're going to ride more. I mean, that's that's somebody who's seriously concerned about how much you're riding, you know, getting you out there on the bike more. The other thing I want you to do when you get there, aerostitch.com forward slash ARR, is order their catalog. I'm holding it in my hand right now. Actually, I, I got last year's catalog right here, the, the 2015. But the 2016 is out and I imagine it'll be mailed not too far down the road, but you can download the electronic version online. But when you flip through this catalog, you'll see that there's tons of things in here. Aerostitch makes fantastic products. There's no doubt about it. Um, fantastic riding jackets, suits, pants, the whole bit. But they've also got a load of other things from other manufacturers here in their catalog. But you can just tell they're riders, you know, because here, I, I, a little while ago, I broke the zipper on my jacket and ended up, well, I, I won't get into a long story story, but it ended up breaking and it's, it's, it's sort of no good anymore. Had I seen this page in the Aerostitch catalog, I could have had my zipper working again. They've got repair pieces for zippers. So they've got the, the tags on there that you can replace the, like the, the pull tab on it. But the one that really interested me that would have really worked in my situation is this, it's a fix and zip. It's a, it's a repair piece for a broken zipper. You know, when your zipper doesn't close anymore, you pull it up and the thing just falls apart. Well, this is a metal piece that comes in two parts and it screws together and it fixes your zipper. I got to get one of these and throw it in my, my bag because it's one of those handy things. You know, zippers are great, but when they fail, they sort of do it without much warning quite often. And then you find yourself stuck. And there I was with my jacket all jammed up. I could have easily pulled that piece off and replaced it with um, this fix and zip um, out of their catalog. But all kinds of things in, in the Aerostitch catalog, I encourage you to just go grab the catalog, have a look through it. It makes some fantastic reading. They've got all kinds of things in here for riding. And they've also got a bunch of a little extra informational bits in here as well. So check them out for great products for riders like you. Aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. For 33 years, we have created and provided products and services to help make motorcycles and scooters more useful. Because riding anywhere is nearly always more healthful, efficient, and a fun way to get there. Holiday greetings and wishes for a happy new year filled with good riding from all of us at Aerostitch.
Well, the Honda Africa Twin, and I mean the new Honda Africa Twin, is making headlines around the world, replacing the old one. The new one is a 1,000cc adventure bike. It's a full-on adventure bike meant to compete with the BMWs and the KTMs. So today we're going to speak with Lawrence Hacking, who is a moto journalist in Canada, and he went to the Honda demonstration for the new Africa Twin. So he's got the, the inside scoop and at least his first impressions of the motorcycle. Lawrence, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Lawrence, you went down for the Honda Canada presentation of the new Africa Twin. Now, I know the Africa Twin has been unveiled in South Africa, and there's other people that have written it and done articles on it, and you may have seen those. But what was your impressions um, of the, the presentation that you saw? Okay. Um, yeah, we, we attended the, uh, the recent Honda Canada presentation of the new Africa Twin last week. Um, and, you know, I purposely don't read tests or watch, try and read too much of other journalists' evaluations of bikes before I ride it myself. So I've kind of... Oh, I'm that, in the that, that's really interesting. I'm glad you said that because that's an interesting note. You, you don't read any of the things that come up on Twitter or Facebook. Or you're not following it until you actually get to ride this thing yourself or look at this thing yeah. yourself. Yeah, for sure. Because I want to form my own opinions. I, I don't want to have any... Um, any inf- outside influence and, and preconceived ideas of what the bike is like to ride. So I just, you know, look at the specs, look at the pictures, uh, ride the bike and make up my own mind. Um, and that's, I think that's worked out fairly well for me uh, up until now anyways. Uh, and the reason is, um, you know, I know a lot of motorcycle journals <laughs> over the years and I've dealt on both sides of the fence. I've organized media launches and press launches, attended press launches, uh, for manufacturers, and I've gone also as a journalist. And, you know, I, I know the game, and uh, I shouldn't call it a game, but I know the situation everybody's in and and uh, how, uh, you know, individual people can be as far as their preferences and personal uh, and personal choices and, and decisions about bikes. So uh, when I write, write about a bike, um, uh, it's just me riding it, and I haven't read any of the tests or, you know, uh, things like that. Um, but uh, at the presentation at, from at Honda, they they did a really good job. Uh, their product planner uh, explained the bike uh, in detail and uh, had a very nice presentation about it and um, and explained some of the features. And, and it's really worth talking about as far as just simply uh, hearing what they had to say as far as their their uh, positioning of the bike in the market and how they, in my opinion, how they marketed it thus far is, is very, very interesting. It's a great study in, in, in well-done motorcycle marketing, in my opinion. Well, let's just start by talking about the old Africa Twin. Uh, what was it about that Africa Twin that made it what it is? It, it seems to be a legendary bike, depending on who you speak with, but most people will agree it was a, it was a really great machine. Oh, well, you know, it, as I showed you, the... Um, the uh, model I have of the Honda NXR 750 from the 80s, and that was their factory uh, race bike uh, from the Dakar Rally. And uh, a guy, a fellow by the name of Gilles Lallet, actually won the Dakar on, on that bike. Um, and of course, that's great marketing as far as I can see. Um, and it was very, very successful for Yamaha's Tenere models over the years and Honda's and other brands as well, BMW and Kajiva and things like that. Um, but the Africa Twin uh, was a European market bike. Uh, I actually rode one. A friend of mine owned one, and I I love the bike. I love the uh, the, color, the you know the shape, the bodywork, um, the the attention, the, the what they call in French the finition, uh, the attention to detail, the the fit and finish was just beautifully done. The quality of the rubber uh, parts was was just unbelievably nicely done and tastefully done. Uh, and I worked at four Yamaha. Uh, for 10 years and uh, was very involved in the Yamaha Super Tenere launch and uh, in that era Yamaha um, it was a very different situation if you know about the industry Uh, the accountants really had a grasp of a lot of um, um, what the the bikes were from Yamaha were coming out with and it was a very different quality level between Honda and Yamaha Yamaha still sold some great bikes and the Super Tenere, I've ridden, you know, the original 750 Super Tenere was a great bike. They did very, very well with it, and they sold a whole bunch of them in in Europe. Um, but just the feeling of the the quality of the brakes and the and the grips and and the levers and all of that kind of stuff, the, the handlebars was all very different than what Honda was supplying their bike with. 
So on to the, the new Africa Twin. What is the bike overall? It's, I know it's not the same. No, no, it's a uh, ground up, um, ground up thousand cc parallel twin. You know, really a high spec motorcycle in my opinion. Um, it comes with a couple of different uh, choices as far as uh, transmissions go. Uh, they have a manual clutch basic version uh, here for the market here in Canada, and, they, and then the uh, dual clutch transmission they call it. And it's really uh, it's uh, electronically. Um, controlled automatic bike so you can actually uh, shift up and down manually or you can let the bike just do it on its own and um, just turn the throttle and go but it's uh, it's not like a cvt style of transmission with a uh, you know um, clutches and things like that like you'd see on a on a side-by-side or a quad or a snowmobile or something like that it's a very very sophisticated transmission with uh, two different clutches on each of the two transmission shafts and they engage and disengage simultaneously using hydraulic oil pressure, which I think is brilliant. They had a cutaway engine at this presentation, and, and if you look at the, the work and the design of it, it's like jewelry, in my opinion. It's just beautifully done, and uh, I think it's, it's going to be exciting to ride the bike. What's the advantage of that transmission to ride with? Well, there, I guess there's a few different things, and without actually riding it, I don't want to speculate, but um, I guess there's um, some sophisticated wheel spin control as far as power delivery goes, and a very sophisticated uh, automatic shifting up and shifting down at certain points, and there's different modes you can choose as well. So you can choose a sport mode, which means the clutch engages uh, more abruptly, I guess, uh, is the way it was explained. So more more aggressively uh, 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 engaging transmission. So the, the shifts are are quicker or harder, I guess you would say. And uh, then there's a, um, a mode uh, you can adjust the uh, difference uh, in uh, wheel spin. So amount of wheel spin for off road capable. And this is all automatic. And uh, from what I was told, they have done a focus group at Honda already using bikes here in Canada and, and invited people in to ride them. And they, I was told that in that focus group, they asked people uh, if they, they thought they would prefer the DCT transmission uh, before they rode the bike and after. And there was quite a big difference between the responses. Before, there were ver- fewer people that thought that they would like the DCT transmission. And then after they tried it, very high percentage of people that liked it and would, would prefer that. So that indicates to me that they're doing some uh, some clever research uh, as far as uh, here in the market here in Canada as well. It makes me wonder whether, and I think I've heard talk of this, and I, I believe, and I'm not sure, but I believe it was from BMW, that this would get more riders onto bikes. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, you know, I think that people are, uh, you know, uh, approach off-road or let's say non-paved riding on a big adventure bike with trepidation because of the size of the bikes and the, the you know the um, you know it's 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 just daunting to ride a, a big bike off-road you know it's not easy it takes you know and quite often all my skills and abilities to get a bigger bike through some conditions you get into and I think that this is a uh, this these features on the new Africa Twin are really uh, uh, would counteract that, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say lack of skill, but less skilled riders may do a lot better in off-road conditions using the features that this bike offers. Well, it's a sweet looking bike overall. I mean, when you look at the thing, it looks very aggressive and certainly looks very adventure styled. Um, what else yeah. about it were you taken by? Well, it's very, it's very, very well designed. For example, they they made uh, the point that the steering lock, the amount, the amount of um, steering lock, which how tight the handlebars turn, uh, is very great. So they they stress the point of that. So that tells me one thing is that um, when you have a, a big adventure bike that runs out of steering lock and it can, you know, tight, in turning around in tight radius. Uh, situations off-road, which that's kind of when you experience that the most. Uh, that tells me that they've spent a lot of time designing the bike to be ridden off-road. And if you look at the quality of the suspension, the fact that it has 21-inch, 18-inch rear uh, wheels means you have a great uh, off-road tire choice. 
the, uh, the slimness between your knees, the, des the actual basic design of the engine is really lends itself to, um, to uh, would be the, I think the, some of the best choices if you were going to try and design the optimum big 1,000cc adventure bike. So uh, those are the, the points that I noticed. I was really I was impressed when it when they made a, a point that the uh, steering lock was very great on that bike. Which um, you know, if you're sliding, you don't want to run out of steering lock because that kind of can um, you know play havoc in what you're doing off road. You'd also mentioned that you thought that they put uh, when we were talking about it earlier. You thought they put a, a lot of work into this, a lot of thought into into this design, making an adventure bike. So, like if you think of their XR650, like it's a, it's a great bike, but it's really tall, and, and there's really it's more of a dirt bike than anything. This bike is actually set up as a true adventure bike to compete with the BMWs and everybody else who's getting to that segment. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, I think they've done a lot of market research as far as how people are using these bikes now or, or the natural progression that a great bulk of adventure riders are uh, getting into as far as their use of their bike. I think it's natural that, um, you know, we've had a big resurgence or, or a big interest in off-road bikes or adventure bikes. And now as people get more skilled at riding all these adventure bikes, the natural next step is to get a bike that's more off-road capable. And I think that's Honda's philosophy or thought behind it. The concept is to, to follow the market segment. Um, and uh, I, that's, if I was building that bike, that's how I, I would look at, okay, what is the potential market? I'm sure they're planning to amortize the investment over a number of years, like we were talking about the KLR, which is probably the the pinnacle as far as motorcycle manufacturers goes of amortizing tooling from a, a particular model. I don't know when it came out, or, but it's still going strong and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like the benchmark of uh, affordable event, uh, ADV bikes. And I, I would think that they look at the uh, CRF 1000 and say, okay, this, we're planning to sell this for the next eight or 10 years. So we've got to make it good the first time. And then they probably, I would assume that they've got plans for the future as well, as far as what they're going to do with it. Um, and uh, I think it's a very well-planned model and timing is perfect. I mean, they could have been, I, I would imagine they would have been, could have been in the market earlier, but they, they're looking at the timing uh, coinciding with perhaps a Dakar success this January and really um, selling a lot of the bikes around the world. What other things took you about the bike that you thought that it was special? Well, I look at th little details like the quality of the brakes and the quality of the suspension components. That means that when they go shopping to outfit a bike, they, they chose the very best stuff available for um, uh, without going to like really, really expensive uh, components. Uh, so you look at the uh, very sophisticated um, uh, injections, fuel injection system and, and engine management system. I, uh, you know, if you look at the number of choices that they, that bike offers as far as, um, you know, different ABS settings and different power settings, I think they said that there's something like 80 different choices of different variables. Um, and I think that that's a telling part of the bike and the specs. The other interesting part is that they don't have electronic suspension adjustments on it. I think it's all manual adjustments. And uh, there might be a, uh, I think they were very concerned about the weight of the bike as well. And if you look at the price points here in Canada, I think it's very, very affordable as far as what you get. It's a very good price. I think you'll see with the exchange rate right now, between the U.S. and Canada, I think you'll see a lot of American people coming up and buying their bike, their CRF 1000 here in Canada. Oh, there's that much difference. So you, you mean just because of the dollar value? Dollar value, yeah. And what, you know, the pricing, manufacturers price their bikes according to what the market will bear. And uh, I think Canada is probably going to be the one of the least expensive places to buy that bike in the world. I mean, you'd have, people will be out there already on the internet fact-checking and stuff. I'm not sure, but just based on our dollar value, the value of the dollar right now. I think that uh, you'll see uh, Americans shopping up here. So in my my hype, I was telling people already, go and put a deposit on the bike when it's delivered early. You know, in the spring sometime, you it'll probably be more than what the deal you made. Is. You know, if you pay full retail right now, it'll be worth more than that in the spring. 
Well, that's an interesting one, though, just mean when we talk about buying new models, because although they've used the name Africa Twin, we know it's not the old Africa Twin. We know that virtually everything has been changed on it. So how do you feel about buying a brand new motorcycle? You know, the first one that comes out, because you know that next year they're going to change some things that they, they didn't like about um, that, that, that was in this model, maybe that didn't last or that didn't work out as well as they thought. Wow, that's a that's a that's a you know I think people say well I don't never buy a first model car or bike, but you're dealing with Honda here, <laughs> so I don't think they're going to come up with something that isn't well tested and proven. I just their their uh, their um, their brand and uh, association with quality just doesn't allow it. So I, I would go buy the bike, you know, without any qualms whatsoever. I, I think that's going to be a uh, that doesn't. That point to me isn't valid. I would take the uh, chance with with Honda. I think they're very good, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm a Honda sales guy, but um, there's, there's other brands of bikes that are also very very good. You know, and uh, I currently ride a Triumph 800 XC, and I'm very happy with that bike too. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I doubt that there would ever be any sort of um, uh, unless something unusual happens. They've done their testing. So this is CRF 1000 is an adventure bike meant to be ridden around the world with this DCT transmission. And you're saying it's, it's almost like, like a clockwork or something, um, that sort yeah. of, um, technology and build. This is something that you, you know, that people aren't going to repair on the road. How do you think that fits into the whole adventure scene? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a good question. You know, I, if I was going to buy one, I'm not sure if I would, per, I haven't, again, I haven't tried it, but I like, using the clutch myself because <laughs> I'm an old school guy and um, I'm not sure if you know you drive that thing into the Pacific Ocean riding the Baja rally or something like that that it's going to not create some problems for you so I would be a little bit cautious about that about you know using it and and uh, in really really extreme conditions I would probably choose the manual clutch version you know it's a thousand dollars less and um, and uh, I, you know, I'm not sure about that without riding the bike. But uh, good point, you know, uh, as far as having problems way out in the middle of nowhere if you ride it around the world. Um, I, I personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think they've done, again, done the testing, and and um, those, if there are problems with things like that, they'll sort those out pretty quickly, and they'll discover them very quickly because I think there is already bikes being delivered in Europe, and there people are riding them already. So. Those things, by the time they, uh, they're here in Canada, they'll have sorted a lot of that stuff out, if there is anything. Um, but yeah, I th- I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it'll be a nice bike. I remember seeing a video a while ago that they put out um, just on how they were developing it and what they were doing as far as testing it. And, and there was, a, according to the video anyway, there was a lot of work being done on the off-road handling of this bike. And, and Lawrence, you'd mentioned even the details that they'd put into the exhaust sound. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, well, you know, Honda has been criticized in the past for building uh, bikes that are too uh, characterless. I guess is a, what a, how I would say it. You know, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of the enjoyment of motorcycling is the um, the uh, you know the the visceral uh, you know sounds of the bike and and you know uh, the vibration sometimes and and uh, the feeling you get. It all adds to the overall experience, the positive experience, uh, and. Uh, I think it, that this CRF 1000 has this um, has a very um, uh, engineered exhaust note, which is very uh, important to me to the overall pleasure you get from riding a motorcycle. I think it's a 270 degree uh, crank, which um, you know has a firing order that develops a very pleasant exhaust note. And I think that they, um, I know other manufacturers were very uh, conscious of that. For example, the old Yamaha Virago, way back in the day, it was one of their first attempts at a V-twin cruiser bike. And uh, what they did is they put a lot of casting material around the valve train in order to keep the noise of the valve train down so they could make the exhaust note louder. And uh, the reason for that is that all all these bikes have to meet certain sound limits in different countries. So they try and meet that sound limit but make that sound limit as beneficial to the overall experience as possible. And Yamaha was one of the uh, companies that actually came up with this idea of trying to keep the mechanical noise of the engine down, which contribute to the overall sound that the bike makes, 
and then make the exhaust louder. And I think that Honda's using that same concept with this CRF 1000 is to make that exhaust note a very pleasant thing to listen to. So I, I think it's wise for them to do that, to give this thing a little bit of a raspy sound to it. Um, I mean, it makes makes riding more fun, I think, when it makes a good sound. I, for me personally, I love the sound of different motorcycles and quite often choose motorcycles based on the sound they make. Well, that brings to mind the whole electric bike thing and where that's going to go and how many people are going to have hockey cards clipped onto their forks. Uh, <laughs> but but that's, yeah. a, that's another story, though. What, what I'm wondering... That's another subject. Yeah, that's another subject completely. So with the, the Africa Twin, is there anything else that really blew you away? Um, well, just the overall beautiful design of it. It doesn't... To me, it doesn't look uh, massive. It looks very compact and very... I sat on it and... Uh, you know, uh, it's very narrow in between your knees and, and foot peg width is very narrow, which is nice. Um, so the initial sitting, uh, just sitting on it and feeling it, the way the, the weight feels and the steering lock, as I said, uh, that it was, I was impressed, you know, just a, a bike you can have a quick look at and, uh, and uh, then listening to all the uh, things. So I found it interesting that they made the, uh, the frame out of steel and not aluminum and uh, people who know the difference know that uh, the feeling of a steel frame bike versus an aluminum frame bike are, is quite different. You know, it's, it sends a, a very different feeling or feedback to the rider. And uh, I thought that was quite interesting that they did that. Um, it still looks very similar uh, to a, an aluminum frame bike because it has very um, odd shapes uh, frame spars. And uh, for sure they've designed the, uh, the frame to give the rider very good positive feedback and, and, and very um, concise or precise feedback back to the rider. And that's a conscious decision to use a steel frame, which is, uh, I, I found that quite interesting that they did that because you know, normally uh, to look, you know, if you're coming up with a new model, you want to be right at the forefront with all the materials that you used and all of that kind of stuff. And a steel frame is not that exotic sounding, but uh, in actual fact, to make a, an aluminum frame the same have the same strength as a steel frame you need a lot more material and i think what they did there is and this is just looking at it is they tried to keep the bike compact uh, by using a steel frame which inherently needs less smaller tubes smaller smaller parts to it uh, and that to me was a, a conscious and wise move i think and, and that's again i haven't ridden the bike but i, I think that's a, an interesting a uh, little telling tale about this this bike. I think for most people, when you think of the difference between aluminum and steel, you think of cost and weight, sort of, that's going to dictate one or the other. What sort of differences would you feel from an aluminum to a steel frame as a rider? Well, you know, aluminum aluminum frames are traditionally very, very rigid feeling. Um, so steel frames have a little bit of flex to them, a little bit different feeling flex. And... Um, I think that that's uh, probably important. Uh, you know, these guys, the engineers really know what they're doing. Um, you know, and that's, as far as a journalist goes, uh, you know, in the in the past, I've, you know, journalists come up and try and find fault with a bike like that. And, you know, if you really look at, I mean, you, I think you have a very, have to have, as a journalist, a very, very high opinion of yourself to come at, come out in this day and age and and find fault with a bike. I mean, there's everything is so well designed. And no matter what brand of bike you're you're dealing with, I mean, there's so much thought by such talented and experienced people to you know and and there's so much thought put into um, you know uh, the the positioning and 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 product positioning of a bike that if you as a journalist come up with trying to find faults with something i i think you're in the wrong business myself i for for me for example what i i do is i ride a bike and all i try and do is convey to the reader um you know the details of the bike and try and put the bike in uh, a scenario that it's designed to be used in. I mean, quite often if you find a fault with a bike, you've probably ridden it into something that it wasn't designed to do in this day and age. And that's my, that's just, again, my opinion. I might take some flack from it, but go ahead. <laughs> um, but anyways, there's a, the end result of, of this particular motorcycle is a, is a testament to the quality of their test riders and, the, and the, their ability to communicate well with the engineers. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's important uh, as far as the end result of what, what motorcycle came to market. 
I've been speaking with Lawrence Hacking, who is a well-known off-road racer and moto journalist located in Ontario, Canada. This is Max Stratton, and Merry Christmas from Max BMW Motorcycles. This is JJ Lewis from the Good Adventure Company. Just want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, it's right before Christmas. As a matter of fact, while I'm recording this, it's the day before Christmas. And I have JJ Lewis from the Good Adventure Company on the line. JJ, what's it like in your neighborhood? Well, I'm looking at my window and we have a good amount of snow. Um, the roads are relatively clear where I'm at. And uh, the other day I hadn't ridden in a week or so and I was I was itching and jonesing for a ride. So I suited up, um, put my heated heated socks, heated pants and and uh, heat a jacket on and uh, rode to work and looked at my temperature on my bike and it was flashing of course and it was eight degrees and it was a fun feeling because uh, the roads were relatively clear and you know there was this one point of uh, in traffic when there was probably 20 cars behind the semi and of course I, I, I smiled and hit the gas and have a radar detector of course so I just I just flew by all these people at eight degrees you know on a motorcycle which they must have been shaking their head but it was a lot of fun and it wasn't it wasn't that cold it was pretty warm being in your heated gear but that was uh, one of the one of the highlights I had this past week or so. Well, eight degrees, you're talking Fahrenheit, and that's about minus 13 Celsius for those who don't know the conversion. And you're in Colorado. Yeah, so I'm in the southwest portion, you know, right near the four corners of New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, and Colorado. Well, because the reason I asked that, JJ, of course, you know that I'm on Vancouver Island, so right now it's it's a gorgeous winter day out with just absolutely teeming down rain. It's beautiful, very green, <laughs> and, and not feeling super Christmassy. But I also know that back east, they're experiencing weather, I think it was like 13 or 14 degrees. So it seems like, uh, at least up here, the, the weather is, at least definitely for the east, the weather is very, very strange. It's warmer in the east than it is on the west coast right now, which should not be like this at December, um, at this time of December. I know it is crazy, and we were supposed to get hit even uh, harder with snow this week. So, um, but uh, you know, I got a fat tire mountain bike out. This uh, just got that one for Christmas, so I will be out on the mountain bike trail if it's snowy, and uh, getting my workout in and uh, working my way up. So, so I'll be probably working my way so I can lift bikes up off the ground in Copper Canyon when we're, when we're going down there. <laughs> now, hang on a second. You're, you're going to be riding the, the mountain biking trails on your fat, tired mountain bike. And for those who haven't seen them, they're these massive tire um, bikes. They actually look like something that, uh, they almost remind me of that. Remember that Bigfoot, when the, the original Bigfoot, when he went to those really big tires and, and they didn't have a lot of tread on them so much, but they were massive tires. That's what always pops into my mind when I see those things. But are you going to be the only one out there on those trails? No, there's there's quite a few people that are just this area of Colorado. This is like the hardcore mecca for cross country mountain biking, and and a lot of people have snow bikes, and so the trails, um, you know, there are people out there all the time. So uh, the fitness level of people around here is is just so high, and so people are always out. Uh, mountain biking even in the, in the snow with their snow bikes. Well, th- that's really good actually for us as bike riders because the bicycle riding is a great way to stay fit for riding your motorcycle. So, um, wow, that opens up a, a whole new thing. There you go, fat tired uh, mountain bikes. You mentioned the Copper Canyon trip, so you got to be very excited because you're getting really close to this. Yeah, we are counting down and we've got a good group of guys going and we've got the hotels secured, and we have a couple of Mexican adventure riders that are going to be coming down with us. We have room for a few more, and I guarantee, um, you know, if somebody signs up, they will have the ride of their life. And if you don't, and if you don't, gosh, I might give you your money back if you don't have a great trip. So we we are, we have room for a few more. Uh, we have a great group going, like I said, and uh, we are just going to have a blast. Um, you know, we've we've got. It's nice to have. Uh, some some relative locals come, coming down there with us uh, to help you know show us some you know good spots. We have routes already that we've been down and we've got those those planned. But there will be time when we get to town that we may have an hour or two to go and do some further exploring. So it'll be nice to have um, a couple of those locals kind of come and show us um, some some great trails out there. So but but uh, we are super super excited. Well, very cool. But and, and for those who who don't know or don't remember, the Good Adventure Company donates the profits to um, su- sustainable charities, and that that's really neat to think that you know somebody who's going on your trip, they're actually helping a charity out. Yeah, 
yeah, our what we want to do down there is is uh, we're making contact with the schools and figuring out exactly what they need, and um, and so we are hoping, especially when we're, we're down in Bato Pilas, hoping to see the the kids and visit the school and get some pictures and and that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, we, we'll basically be documenting kind of what we're doing down there to help. So um, you know, the kids down there, as I said before, like they come running. So. Our saddlebags will have candy in them and, and, and stickers and those kinds of things. And um, that's always fun to kind of stop. And I know, um, you know, some people who have gone down there have actually had, you know, go to Toys R Us and get a couple soccer balls and flatten them out and put them in their saddlebags. And then when they stop in the middle of nowhere, you know, take the air compressor out and fill up those soccer balls. And, you know, some of those kids hadn't really played with a soccer ball like that, a new one especially. So uh, I know that we'll be doing something like that, too, as we stop and uh, just having a great time down there and. Um, the places where, we, where we're going to be staying and the villages are just the, the lodging that I have secured is just really going to be uh, uh, top shelf in many respects. And um, it's going to be relaxing and challenging and fun. It's going to basically stretch stretch us in all areas, but it's really, really going to be a safe time and uh, adventurous time, especially with the routes that were taken. But we've got a great group of guides that are going with us. And uh, so I, I can't be more excited. I can barely sleep at this point. I'll bet. And I'm a huge fan of that style tourism too, where you're going into a place and you're doing things for the local. That is just so important nowadays, especially when you're going into a place like that. But JJ, I've seen some of the photos um, of that area. Unbelievable, like really stunning shots. Yes. You know, I mean, there are times when you, when you just, you sort of stop and you're quiet and you look around and it's just, it's, it's, it's almost orgasmic to your eyes in some ways. Everything is just on fire and it's just, some of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. Uh, and you think you're all alone out there and all of a sudden, you know, a, a native girl is walking, you know, 20 miles, you know, from the town to her village and, you know, says hello, a, a smile and a greeting and, and passes on by. So um, it's just really, especially with the native people down there, it's just a, a really um, different experience that you're, you're not really going to get anywhere else. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it is just absolutely astounding to, you can't even put words to it. What's the dates you're going again? We're going to be staging in Douglas on February 13th, and we're crossing over, and uh, then we will be returning uh, back actually through Nogales on the 20th. So February 13th through 20th, we're going to be doing basically a, a U-shaped loop uh, down south into the canyon and then back up uh, the coast on the Sea of Cortez, um, spending the, the final night celebrating in San Carlos and then heading up that way, um, crossing at Nogales. Sounds incredible. What, what sort of temperatures are you expecting for that? What, what is it like that time of year? Well, it's quite a range, Jim, um, because um, near Krill, where we're, we're going to be, you know, riding, it's kind of a Highway 16, which is, like I said before, Tale of the Dragon times a million. I mean, just twisty and twisty and twisty. It's just fantastic road. That's going to be up at the higher elevations. So in Krill, it's really actually kind of cold. We needed heated gear last year, and then then the next day when we get to, we go to Krill down to Batopilas, it's really like really cold in the morning. And then as you as you you know kind of go down the canyon, it gets tropical at the bottom. So it's going to be quite a mixture of temperatures. I love the sound of the the whole thing because it just sounds like it's got a bit of a, a raw tone to it. You know, it's um it's something where you're actually on a, a real adventure. It's not like you're you know going to be in, and let around. It's um it's really neat. I've got to find a way to get down there. Maybe for your next year's one. That'll be great. We'd love to have you. And uh, again, if if there are uh, riders that are uh, sort of interested, go to our website good-adv.com and go to our guided trips page, and uh, and then you'll be able to fill in that information, uh, leave your phone number, your contact information. I will call you probably that same day and see what you're interested in, answer any questions that you might have, um, and uh, get you going. But again, we have room for a few more people, and uh, this is just a great group that's going already. And if we have a few more that are like-minded, I think it's going to be that, you know, more of an adventure and a trip. So, JJ, don't you have a a deal as well if they're they're booking? Wasn't it by the end of December? Yes, it, the regular price is seventeen fifty, uh, which if you look at other other websites and tours, you know we are half as expensive. And you know where we're going, um, they don't go uh, usually. Um, and so it's it's seventeen fifty usually. But if they just if they sign up before the thirty first of December, it's uh, fifteen fifty. So 
we want people to take advantage of that. That helps me, um, especially as I secure lodging and make reservations. But if it's if it's after that point, then it would be seventeen fifty. So if, if people are in, interested in going and itching to go, sign up before December thirty first, and you'll save some money, and uh, uh, we'll be able to you know definitely secure some great lodging for folks too. Oh, that's good. It sounds like it's uh, it's going to be good. Hey, what's um what's new with the Good Adventure Company as far as, as products go? You, you'd mentioned something about uh, a mirror. We talked about uh, the problem with us dropping our bikes and, and knocking our mirrors off, which is a pretty universal problem. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to start stocking uh, Double Take Mirrors, which are a, a wonderful company, um, you know, uh, from an adventure rider. And basically, they, they use the RAM mount system uh, for the mirrors. And so the good adventure company is going to be selling, um, because we are, are pretty much, um, BMW oriented. We're going to be selling, you know, mirrors for the 800 and the, uh, 1200 GSs, um, uh, those mirror systems. So we'll be, we'll be putting those on our website, um, you know, in the near future, we also will be adding, um, you know, the KTM big bike, uh, adventure mirrors as well, but the first part is we're definitely going to be doing the the uh, the BMW and then adding the uh, the KTM's as well. Um, but these mirrors are great because they use the RAM system, and so when you crash, you know they they, they move out of the way, they don't break. Um, if, and if you're going to a place where you think you might be tipping over, you can actually loosen them a little bit and fold them inward. And so uh, you know they're just really really versatile, and they basically have a lifetime warranty. So if you crash and you break them, you send them back. You're going to get a new mirror, which is great. So, you know, we want to we want to support those companies that are, you know that are true adventure riding companies, and this is one of them. So, we're really proud to um, be uh, supporting them and selling their product. I haven't tried them yet, but but I want to, and I will at one point. But what excited me was when you said the lifetime warranty, because basically it's the last mirror you're going to buy. Really, I mean, the, and, unless you wear your mirror out, which chances are you're not. Really, the reason we end up replacing them is in dropping them and smashing them. So that could be the last one you buy. Right. Right. And, you know, I was just looking at Adventure Rider, you know, on the trip page, somebody's going around the world and they've got a really nice BMW GS 1200. And of course, <laughs> the mirror is completely gone. And I'm like, wow, gosh, if they had that mirror, um, that mirror would still, the double take mirror would still be on there. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you crash, it just moves a little bit and you unscrew it and put it back where you need it, need it to be. No big deal. Because it's designed to swivel, right? So as soon as it hits, the thing swivels instead of, instead of breaking. Right, right. So what, kind of like the idea where you, you have a GPS and a RAM mount, you know, you bump your GPS around a little bit, you just unloose it and, and, and uh, put it in the direction where you want it to go, where it was in the first place. It's a wonderful idea. Well, JJ, thanks for coming on and you enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy riding your fat, tired bicycle around the mountains in the snow. Wonderful, Jim. Merry Christmas to you and everybody on Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks a lot for your support. And that was J.J. Lewis from the Good Adventure Company. He is in Colorado at his home right now, enjoying the snow and his new fat-tired mountain bike. And uh, we support the Good Adventure Company because they're taking their profits and they're giving them to sustainable charities. And this is the time of year to think about other people, especially those in need. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're exploring the world visit them at cyclepump.com that's cyclepump.com well that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we're closing in on the end of the year do you realize that one more week and it's all over and we're into 2016 what will come in 2016 what sort of changes are we going to be looking at well i guess yet to be seen 
Well, I want to give a special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, who works tirelessly on these episodes, as you know. I also want to thank our advertisers, Max BMW, Best Rest Products, and Aerostitch, all whom help make this show what it is. So make sure when you're dealing with them or dropping by or talking to them on the phone, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. As always, I would love to have you drop by the website. Check out all the episodes. You can download them all for free. We also got the t-shirts and the stickers. You got to get a sticker. If you haven't got a sticker on your bike now, if you haven't got an Adventure Rider Radio sticker, well, you need one. It's as simple as that. I mean, it should be a must for every tank or every pannier. You've got to have an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. So drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and pick yourself up a sticker. Very inexpensive. Be mailed out right away to you. Also, don't forget to click on the comment button. Let us know what you think of the shows you've already heard and any suggestions you have for upcoming shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and all the other social media things because, well, it's fun. And we put some stuff out there that you wouldn't hear on the shows. My name's Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week. Hola, mi nombre es Alicia y estás escuchando Adventure Rider Radio.